button to map the progress. Well, Alex, it really is good to see you again, and it sounds like that you are making some progress, and so I thought I'd turn the video recorder on and give you a chance to be explained that to me. The yeah. And yeah, the sure. So, I mean, I, I just is like, I notice I do a lot of meditating on walks now. Really enjoy that. And, and as, as I'm walking, I'm looking on walks, like while taking a walk Walking. outside. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's so interesting that I, I've just kind of tried this practice out of like taking a step back, resting naturally without seeking or describing anything. And as I'm looking at everything going by the trees, the, the, the sidewalk beneath my feet, and feeling the air, the wind against my face or my body. No, and you're feeling really the close. wind. You're feeling the wind. Feeling the wind, exactly. Okay. Not and with my body, but just feeling the wind. Okay. Right. Exactly. Right. And and that's actually what I was just going to say is that these since I'm st I'm looking more closely now and seeing that these things that I've taken to be like a me, like, right, like this is my body or this is me. And then there's this stuff going on. It can't be so. What's actually going on is, is just what is going on. Like, so when I feel wind, it's not me feeling wind. It's like, it almost feels like wind is feeling itself, which is very, very strange. It's like the sensation is experiencing itself okay all right well here's part of the issue is the language that we're speaking in this case english language is not right. designed around um let us say phenomenon it's not designed around experience it's designed around the self you could almost say that Christianity had a major influence going forward from Latin because uh, the uh, modern languages now are highly pro uh, pro uh, pronoun driven. In other words, we become mm -hmm. an, an, a, a, a language of nouns mm -hmm. rather than a language of uh, verbs. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason that I'm saying that is, um, in fact, the reference, surprisingly enough, that everyone remembers comes out of the Basuti Maga. Not everything in the Basuti Maga is wrong. In fact, uh, Bhikkhu Buddhadasa at one time early said that it was about 95% correct. But then years later, he said, it's okay to go ahead and burn it. <laughs> Not because, <laughs> not because it's wrong, but because it's not all of that valuable. But there is a lot of Dhamma in there. And the phrase that has come out that's so, um, let us say, striking is that there is walking, but there is no walker. Yes. The walker doesn't yes. exist. Okay, so if you say that, then you can recognize, yeah. okay, the wind is blowing and it is hitting and having sensations. 
Yeah. And there is right. experience of the sensations, but right. that the experiencer of those sensations was what we used to see. And now we're seeing more the experience and the sensations and not so interested in the one who's doing the experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> That's a it's, major. It's almost like the. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. That's a major change of reference. Can you yeah. see uh, that this takes considerable amount of mental rewiring to come out yeah. of a noun-based way of looking at the world into a verb-based way of looking at the world? Yeah. But, like sure. nouns like wind and me and turning <laughs> that into um, a, a verb and an experience of blowing. You just feel, mm -hmm. or you feel. <laughs> See, that's the language <laughs> that we have. So in order to make sense out of what we're talking about, we have to speak incorrectly. You do, right, right, right. right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that there, there is no experiencer of the blowing. There's just the blowing and the experience of the blowing. Now, the important point here. Yeah is not the blowing right because the wind had been blowing whatever wind it was long before humans the wind uh -huh. whatever we define it as um let us call it a gas that is in movement the whole quality of a gas is that it moves freely the difference between a gas and a solid, a solid, the molecules are basically locked in place and there's no place to go. In a gas, things are so free that there's not much interaction. It's only in that mm -hmm. middle state of uh, a liquid is where things can move together and then stay long enough to form something that we're calling life. Life requires a liquid, mm -hmm. okay, because it's too complex for it to be formed in either a stone or in the air. But the air itself is out there moving all the time. The question is, can it be experienced or not? And the answer to that is it requires life because life mm -hmm. is, uh, is what it takes to do that kind of experiencing, whether the life is a plant or other things like that. And then we get into really strange morality in the sense of when I turn that light switch, how does the light switch know that it has turned and now it is job is to feed electricity down the wire to make the light glow? In other words, is there consciousness in a light switch? The answer is depending upon how you define consciousness. Hmm. And it's certainly if it's a consciousness, it's a very simple consciousness to where there are other forms of consciousness that are very highly complex. So that hmm. uh, it's so complex that we can put time factors and other things on it. Like uh, the light can turn on with some uh, uh, kinds of light switches without defining them is that the light will turn on before the light switch is thrown. And sometimes the light will turn on after the switch is thrown. And sometimes the light switch and the light have no relationship 
within this context of a very sophisticated um, consciousness. Why? Because we add ingredients to it. For instance, in this case, we also need a power source. And that power source requires coal. And that coal requires transportation. And you see how far we can go off into the complexity of it. This is an important part mm -hmm. because we recognize that when humans come by, they're, they're most likely the most complex thing that is organized. The most mm -hmm. complex because there's a whole lot of complexity in disorganization. But life requires organization, <laughs> organisms, and therefore, so what we're getting at is, is that you're stumbling across the whole concept of what is life as opposed to what is me. <laughs> yeah, it really does very much feel like that. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So it's Al actually. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say there's also been questions that I'm noticing of that nature. And. Like when I'm when there's when I'm walking, when there's walking. Um, Never mind you know, trying to speak in Dhamma language. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead and speak in we, ordinary we, we language. We can say it's blowing. Right. Thank you. Thank you. We we can say it's blowing, right? We can say there's blowing, but we can't even say that. We can't even actually say that. And we be can say the sensation. The sensation right. is blowing. Right. Well, well, even to say it's blowing, right, is a prox is 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 a description, is an approximation of mm -hmm. what's actually happening. It's prior, it's it's after what actually happens. And so it's like, if there isn't a life, if, if there isn't me there, how can there be blowing? If there isn't me there, how can there be that cessation that's felt? So it is very much kind of like, what is life? Like, what is this? What is going on here? Mm -hmm. Because Because when I look for the me though, when I look for this, this me, this self, well, it's like, it's like a phantom. It's like invisible. It's, it's like, you can't see it. It's, it's nowhere to be found yet. There's this beautiful paradox going on of like, well, there's definitely life here. There's definitely some kind of experience happening. Mm -hmm. Exactly. This is what we're tapping into now is the mystery of it all. As you were saying, um, the blowing, and the wind are merely approximations. Guess what? We will never get it exactly. Never will. Right. All, we will have to deal forever. We will have to whatever the we is, which is also the <laughs> approximation. <laughs> we'll have to deal with approximations on and on and uh -huh. become satisfied with good enough. Sure, right. Becoming right. satisfied with good enough approximations. And really, the problem is not the experience itself. It's the describing of the experience later and trying to put it into words. Right, exactly. So, like it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, you've heard the statement that a picture is worth a thousand words. 
Okay. <laughs> How many words is an experience worth? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. It, it doesn't need words. <laughs> Well, look how many um, meditation students are busy calling up their teachers to ask questions and trying to describe their experience. Yeah. When that's not really necessary to describe the experience. And if the student was actually just experiencing the experience, mm -hmm. then there would have been no question. Mm -hmm that always the question is not about the experience in itself, it's the experience, the question is about the experience or the one who experienced it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's why things right. have gotten so complicated. Mm -hmm. Because the students don't need to be calling the teachers and don't need to be asking all of these questions. Instead, and I'm not referring to you and I, I'm really, my thought is of, um, uh, let us say, um, the way that students would react to Goenka or mm -hmm. the way that the students react in a Mahasi setting. Mm -hmm. Because the yeah. way that we're reacting is um, actually in the discussion of this no-self, as opposed mm -hmm. to the discussion of the experience and the experiencer. Mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. what noting is all about okay mm. uh and so uh when we uh, begin to understand that there really is no let us say permanent um at least long temporary lasting self in there that the mm -hmm. self arises and passes away only when we think of the self. Mm. That is a kind of a thought. Mm -hmm. And here mm -hmm. you're beginning to now have the thoughts of the experience itself without adding the result that gets to the experiencer. In other words, the, re the, the experience is the experience. The mm -hmm. question from the student is, how does that experience affect the self? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. In other words, did this experience make me a soda pond? <laughs> <laughs> Which is like the most common question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or if I have this experience, does that mean I'm enlightened? The question right. indicates no. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. But when we get the point, then that means that we begin to pay more and more and more attention to the sensations of the experience. That in yeah. fact, the experience itself is is a kind of a process. It had to be processed from sensation into experience and then processed into feeling, and then from the feeling processed into the self. Mm. This is this is Paticca Samupada, and then the, uh, the mm -hmm. processing of the self then winds up being a processing of dukkha, especially if the self mm. has, has to be protected from the experience. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of, of course, yeah. 
course. Yeah. So this is the way the mind works. And that we're we're stumbling across something that the Buddha pointed out. But in the pointing it out, it's done in such an arcane language of the translation from the Thai or excuse me, from the Pali into the English that we get all wrapped up with these things called jhanas. Which yeah. is nothing more uh, as an attainment for the self to attain something for the mm. for the self to experience and attain. And now I've got mm -hmm. this and it's a source mm -hmm. of pride. To where yeah. really what the jhanas were pointing out is not the experiencer, but the experience of stop processing and making experience and just receive the data. And that's that's the best part is the consciousness that can receive the data, the being alive to experience. Okay, so you're okay. saying the whole point in the jhanas is to open up the ability and the innate ability and possibility of just receiving experience as it is. Right. Well, except that we could go so far as to say that experience is the intermediate state. And mm. that sensation is the goal here. In the sense of. Oh, right. Uh, uh, so okay. we can actually break down the word experience into two kinds of experience. And that is a raw experience. In other words, sensation itself is an experience. OK, and right. then yeah. the next kind yeah. of experience is, well, what do we make of that? Right. Yeah, I'm talking about the former. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So this is the real kind of experience. But most people talk about it when they go to the teacher, the Mahasi student goes to the Mahasi teacher. They're talking about an experience that has the beginning right. of a me in it. I've experienced something. Or I guess you could right. even say like that would be the same as the description of the sensation. Precisely the description. Another way of talking about it is trying to understand it, trying yeah, like to make sense out of it, trying right. to get it, trying to have a meaning to it. Yeah, like I had yeah. this experience and therefore that means I am a soda pond. Right. Or something. Right. right? So this right. is the this is the when we talk about the, that kind of an experience means that we're be, we're going in the direction of the self and in that intermediate part of that experience is actually didactic or it is verbal or it is a concept. Mm -hmm. That we could say that actually we're just trying to understand that experience rather than mm -hmm. just experiencing experience. Right. Okay. Right. Now we can use the computer for uh, various things about the way that the mind works, and this is a good example of it. That let, let us say that you have a program that takes in input data. That input data can come from any source. It doesn't matter. It can even be data that's on the hard drive. And so the time evolved uh, events, the data coming is the spinning of the hard drive. But data always comes in sequence as a process that never arrives all at once. 
right? That it that tittles in and drips and drafts. Now, the program that's going to be processing this data, if it has very little to do with that data, very little massaging to do, then it will be ready for the data when the data presents itself. And an example of that is the old unit record equipment that banks used. You know, the punch cards. Have you ever seen the hollerers punch cards? Well, gosh, that's antique. I mean, they were getting out of date in 1970. 50 years ago, they were going out of date. And so this is way back when, back in the 50s and 60s. Okay, so the machine itself, all electromechanical, was designed so that when that card was being fed, the printer wheels were being set up simultaneously. So that by the time that the card was read, we already knew what to do. And so the hammers would fire. And then the bail would go down and we'd read another card. And as it was reading, the fingers would come up and lock into place. And then when the card was finished, the hammers were fired. OK, so this means now that we can process all of the data as it's coming in as fast as it's coming in. That mm -hmm. would be kind of the goal in modern mm -hmm. computers. Nothing like that happens. We take input and then we have to do a whole lot of massaging with some program called COBOL or whatever like that. And he adds this, that, and the other thing, gets his page ready and then sends it to a printer. And mm. all of that time that he was doing that COBOL processing and getting the numbers added up and adding and sending it to the printer, he's not reading any data. Mm. Mm. This is an important point. In other words, if we can get our own minds to the point that we're just receiving data and not doing a lot of processing for understanding and fitting into how it operates with me, mm -hmm. then I can just start receiving data and receiving it more and more and more without doing much of any kind of processing. And what we find out is that there is a flood of data coming in and we haven't been processing much. We have been not taking in much of the data. We have mm -hmm. been, in fact, spending too much trying to process a very, very little data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or, or another way that I that we could say it maybe is is like so when I was when I was walking earlier. The experience of walking like being a body walking. Was like fading in and out it was almost like disappearing the experience of being a body walking and mm -hmm. it was like the sensations of my arms like moving against you know my body were no different than uh the no different than the sensations of hair going across the ears or of the wind it was Precisely all so, exactly. yes exactly yeah. but see when you're walking down the street as the walker we're not paying attention to a whole lot of that input right we're not exactly. directing it. Okay, so this is an opening up. And as you open up, you can feel the hair on the back of your neck. You can feel the wind on your arm. You can feel the yeah. fingertips. You can just, there's just so much happening. You couldn't possibly verbalize it. Yeah, I know. And like the the experience, I, it's the first time, well, first time it was noticed or it was taken in today is, you know, my hair is getting longer and it and it kind of like goes against my ears a little bit. But it's interesting if I'm not describing hair and ears, it's like just like a flickering. It's it's like a 
it's it's so wild. It's like uh -huh. it's, it's it's not me. It's not anything Precisely. that is personal. So, so we'll use the word flickering now for the uh, the word sensation. Okay. And okay. <laughs> and the whole part about the hair moving on the ears is all conceptualized. And my hair moving on exactly. my ears is further conceptualizing. Exactly, yeah. Ah, right. so staying with the flickering, that's the point about the fourth jhana. So now let's put mm -hmm. it in the context of the way it's described in the fourth jhana so that we can put those two things together because most students are absolutely confused about this because they think that it's uh, a state of mind as opposed to a way of looking. Mm. Because okay. a different way of looking is easy enough to do if you just look that way. But a state mm -hmm. of mind, a way that Western Buddhism has been set up is that it's an attainment. It's something that you've got to work very hard to get. Right. Who's working and what is the work? Right. right? It's all dukkha. That's what it is. And so the students right. will do dukkha in the uh, hope of getting non-dukkha. That's why right. there's so right. little um, uh, success. So. Right. Looking at it from Paticca Samuppada, we go from consciousness or vinya, which is actually the receiving of the input data. That consciousness is is um, referenced with um, eye and seeing, sound and hearing. Mm -hmm. Okay, contact and touch. Okay, mm -hmm. flavors and taste okay mm -hmm. and odors and smell all of these things are very very consciousness oriented at the level of venia and what humans do mm -hmm. that none of the other animals can do quite as well as humans is process that data mm -hmm. Okay, so we see an object way over there with the eyes, and that object comes in uh, through the olfactory systems as shape, color, shape or form, color, and movement. Mm -hmm. And all the rest of it then is kind of pre-processed into images. So once we get it into the form of image, now the frontal cortex comes into play to make sense out of that image. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the example is someone's coming towards you at a distance. You're standing on a street corner and you're walking down the street in this direction, something like that. And when you see the individual, the first thing that we do and have been doing now for many, many centuries as humans is the first thing we do is look at how they're dressed and then take the way that they're dressed, the visual image of their dress, and put it into our database and start looking around for that form of dress to try to figure out who they are without any other data other than the way, so if they're in a burqa or if they're in a habit or if they're in an SS uniform, or if they're wearing a general's uniform, or if they're wearing a business suit, or they're wearing the kind of clothing that girls wear when they're out on the street <laughs> advertising, 
you know, the kind of dress that I mean, all look at all of these dress codes that I've just mentioned. There are many, many yeah. kinds of dress codes. And we search through yeah. our database with that data to try to figure out who that person is based upon the way that they're dressed. Yeah. I think that's pretty okay. foolish. But that's how yeah. we're taught. That's the way that we do it. We look at the way that they're dressed and to figure out who they are. A better way of doing it is, is that when you see that person walking down the street, instead of jumping to conclusions based upon the way that they're dressed, it's better to just look. To look at their face, yeah. to look yeah. at the way they're walking, to look at all kinds of data, because there's a huge amount of data available, but we go around making instant decisions and those instant decisions are processes and the, the more than likely the answer that we're going to get is something that comes out of our past rather than what we're looking at right here and now right yeah it's just again with the descriptions it's describing Be something right because we describe something so this is just the out that like outcome flowing uh-huh. So what we do with that uniform then is called salioptana. It's the internal representation of the form. So what came in was just uh, form, shapes, and colors. We process that into clothing, and then we further process into what kind of clothing, and then we process that into what kind of person this is based upon the kind of clothing that they're wearing. And all of that happens really fast in the mind while we're not looking. Literally, we're not watching that person mm -hmm. coming down the street. We've already figured out who they are based upon the way that they were dressed, which comes very quickly. OK. Um, I, uh, I sent a, um, a video out not long ago on fast and slow thinking, mm. right? Okay, there is a difference. Did you did you see that video or did you did you notice that it was posted? I, I noticed it was posted, but I didn't see it. I didn't no. see it, okay. This is something, well, when I post something, it's got value to it. You can count on it, okay? So let's go into uh, a little bit of that, all right? I, I've been watching the Instagram ones, the, the one that, uh, have you seen those? The one that Parker's made? The Dama Dudes Instagram. Uh, I I've seen a bit of it. I know what he's doing. Yeah, they're really good. They're just like short video clips that give like little nuggets of Dhamma mm -hmm. of wisdom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of them are you and me. <laughs> uh huh. So, uh, with them. With this thing called the Salayatana. That means that we have been spending our time processing, thinking, rather than input. So going back to that computer analogy, if we can simplify the program so that the program can process the data with very little to do with that data, then we can get more data sooner. Mm. Okay. Mm. And, um, uh, in 
physics and computer science and um, auditory and all kinds of fields that are interrelated, elect electronics mostly. We talk about it as what we mean by a sampling rate. Have you ever heard the term sampling rate? Mm -hmm. No. Uh, really? Okay. The sampling rate, you know that there is something um, that the old style, they called it analog, like with magnetic tape versus digital. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you know how they convert analog to digital? Mm -mm. By the sampling. They sample the data, they get a calculation, then they'll sample it again and get another calculation, and then sample it again and get another calculation using Fourier transforms and other things like that I don't want to go into. But basically, what that means is um, you, you've seen auditory files that have different qualities, mm. like the sampling rate is 64K or the sampling rate is 128K, or if it's very, very low quality, it'll be like uh, 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 20K. All right, 20K actually then is the, uh, um, it's the bandwidth for FM. And you know that FM has a very high quality as opposed to AM because AM radio has basically a frequency boundary of 5 hertz, which are 5,000, 5K hertz, which means that at best, we can sample that at that speed. In other words, it, it runs at 5. That's why AM is such trash compared to um, uh, FM radio, which is also compared to trash to vinyl, which is trash compared to very, very high quality digital because now with the computers, we can sample very, 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 very fast. So what does sampling mean? Sample means that you take, you, you listen for a very, very short period of time. How long is that short period of time is partly the way that you would determine how soon it will be before you can sample again. So if you're sampling a long frequency, then that, uh, or let us say for a while, then uh, the sampling rate is going to be low and you're going to be missing a lot of data. Mm. You do understand that AM radio, ha uh, the reason it sounds poor quality is because it's missing a lot of the stuff that you could hear with FM. Mm. Okay, the mind works exactly like that. Your sampling rate, if your sampling rate is very, very low, we're not getting much data and the output is going to be poor quality. Which means mm. that if we sample and then we process, sample and process, sample and process, the processing time is an important point here. So with the way that we normally think, the way that children do it is, is that we do a little bit of sampling and a whole lot of processing, mm -hmm. trying to make sense out of our environment. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that that processing then uh, prevents us from getting new data. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And so, uh, all right. That you got it. Now that's that's like so it's like literally. <laughs> literally being stuck in like a past like a past wiring essentially for one thing we're always in the past 
because of the time we figured it out is already changed. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like you're, you're dealing with old narratives and, you know, like, so you're, you're solidifying things that, that actually are never solidified, but you right. can't see it because the mm -hmm. data, your, your sampling speed is, is too low. Right, exactly. And the reason the sampling rate is too low is because we're doing a whole lot of processing in a hurry to make sense out of it in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Going back mm -hmm. to the book, this is the uh, dichotomy now is, is that what he refers to is fast thinking mm. is instinctual thinking to where we see, we process, we make sense out of it to see is it dangerous or not. And then we go with feelings into self. And we do that on a regular basis. We go through that particular Samapada sequence. The mm. question is, can we stop that stuff at some point and go back and take more data quickly? Hmm. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay, we're going to start getting more data mm. and doing less processing. Stop making so much sense out of it. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's yeah. open. Um, it's okay for us to remain ignorant about the data. Let's just get more data. Yeah. The way that the human thinks is we get a piece of data and we don't understand it. We're going to process it. We're going to get this and try to compare it. And we're going to get that and try to compare it and try to make sense out of it. And this whole process is called confusion. <laughs> <laughs> and to get out of the confusion, We'll right. wind up coming up with an answer because now the answer is more important that we get an answer than whether the answer is correct or not. This this is interesting. This just I think I just had this this insight of, well, if there's always something to have an answer about, there's always something to be confused about because the answer will create a separation from whatever else there is and then that will leave you wondering and being confused about whatever else there is so needing to have an answer <laughs> immediately creates confusion <laughs> precisely precisely and so now we're going uh, to start thinking differently that if i don't know the answer to something just drop it and go get more data right Allow yourself to be confused. Allow yourself to be happily ignorant. That you've heard that old statement that ignorance is bliss, and we can give you 10,000 reasons why it's not true. Because ignorance is bliss means you're ignorant of some danger. And if you're ignorant of that danger, then you're going to suffer when that danger uh, grabs you. Right. That's why mm -hmm. ignorance is bliss is a stupid thing to say. The point, though, is, is that almost all dangers, 99 percent of them or more, are made in the mind as part of the processing of not getting enough data. Mm. In other words, we need to start becoming ignorant of all of the lies that we tell ourselves and just get more data. Mm hmm. Right. Just keep getting exactly. more data. Like, like, like very simple one being that I am walking. This is a mm -hmm. there is a body walking. Mm -hmm. That's and a lot. There's and there's a lot of sensations, a huge amount of sensations. If you go barefoot, you'll add a whole bunch of sensations. 
Yeah. And that's all there is. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Sensation, sensation, sensations. And we are taught in our society to only get a little bit of data and make a quick determination about that, which is often wrong. Fast thinking, according to a lot of the science that we looked at, it looks like that it's about 50% of the time correct and about half the time is wrong. Hmm. And here's an example of that. Uh, let's say that now we've got two people standing on the street corner and, and uh, the two of them see that person coming down the street in that certain kind of dress. And both of them have an, an opposite with each other reaction. Let's give some examples. It's a nun's habit that they see. And one of them is a seminary student. And the other one went to Catholic school when he was a child and got beaten by a nun. Mm. Okay. They're going to have, because of their past, they're going to have different reactions to that nun. And neither one of them are actually looking at what's going on with that individual or that person wearing that habit. It might be a Halloween costume. It needs right. to be investigated. Don't jump to conclusions. Right. I mean, it's 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 so <laughs> it's so good because it's it's like there's not even really a nun there. There's you know? no nun there. Right. <laughs> exactly. There's just material, right? M material uh, that appears solid that's you know flowing by you know, in the form of a robe or a drape, but it's all description. It's all in saying something about it. If you don't say mm -hmm. anything about it, there's nothing there. There's just nothing there. Exactly. So that we can now put this context because we've already talked quite a lot or just a little bit, in fact, about uh, Petitia Samapada. Now mm -hmm. let's talk about it in terms of jhana. Okay, yeah. In, in the terms of the fourth jhana, you have heard that within the fourth jhana, there are various states. One of them would be, um, I'll go ahead and use the language that is used in the books that Westerners read, and then we'll correct the language. Okay, so the first thing, we'll use their language. Infinite space, mm -hmm. infinite consciousness, mm -hmm. uh, neither perception nor non-perception, and nothingness. Mm -hmm. These four added to what we already have, the four jhanas. This is where the five jhanas come from. Or, the, excuse me, the eight. Is but basically... The, uh, the, the Brahmavaras? Pardon? I think what you're talking about is the Brahmavaras, right? No. Uh, Arupas? No, that's Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka. That's the Brahma Baharas. No, okay. we're talking about the um, Arupa Jhanas, the formless jhana. Okay. The jhana that when we say it's formless, that means that it is um, disassociated from actual reality. In other words, these are things that happen okay. only in the mind. To where the rupa okay. jhanas are associated with the breathing, which is a physical, real thing. Okay. Okay. So 
the a rupa jhana is that which happens only mentally and this is uh, the infinite space infinite consciousness uh, uh neither perception or non-perception and nothingness okay let's look at those words the first thing is is that the word infinity and infinite did not exist even as a concept in the time of the buddha it did not exist as a concept even in the time of uh, uh late greek mathematics it did not in fact <laughs> exist until the middle ages and that comes from the issue of dividing something by zero there's no end to it right that's where the whole concept of infinity comes from but there was no what the poly term is using is the word boundary less boundaryless is not infinite nowhere near it mm. okay let's give this as example just just one little thing here talking about um thinking inside the box you can see that there's a little hole there for the for the finger there okay that is inside the box but if I point my finger here, that's outside the box. It's outside the boundary. There is no boundary there, right? That's not right. infinite. That's right. just outside of the bounds. Right. It's important to understand that that word infinite consciousness is so completely wrong that people get a magical view of it. Right. Also, right. infinite. So let's start with the one that they call infinite space, and start walking yeah. with the, working with the body while while uh, the sensations of the walking, the sensations of being out on the walk, the sensations yeah. then kind of merge with the environment. That where is the boundary to the body? Right. You see, right. when there's a self, uh -huh. the body has boundaries. We know who we are and who we are not. But when we were just receiving right. input, the input and the reception of the input get mixed together. That boundary is cut. You can feel right. that on the on the wind of the arm with the hairs. You can recognize that, hey, I don't feel where the boundary of the skin ends. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There is no boundary yeah. there. That's not magical at all. That's a direct experience that we we look with our eyes and we think, OK, this yeah. is skin and this is air. And I know the difference between skin and air. But the skin itself doesn't know the difference between the skin and the air. Right. At exactly. the level of the skin, it is mixed together. It is like the. There would be no air if it wasn't for the skin. There'd be no skin if it wasn't for the air. So they both Plus, they both merge. Right, exactly. Yeah. And okay, so this is what we mean by infinite uh space is no, it's not infinite and it's not really space, is that the boundaries in space don't exist in that Class. hard, cold way that we think of conceptually. Right, that we think of. That's the key, right? They're uh -huh. that we think of. You have uh -huh. to think you have to think them. If you're not thinking them, they're not there. Exactly. But if you're actually experiencing it, 
there the experience of the boundary is not there we're experiencing without that boundary right okay if we can right. do that with that direct experience then we can see that that direct experience of spaciousness or that um lack of boundary is there also in consciousness in the sense of what's the distinction between the data and the reception of the data they get mixed together consciousness has no real fixed boundary the next part of that is is that it also is a flood it feels infinite but it's not it's just whatever's happening in the moment but there's a lot of stuff going on that we normally don't pay any attention to because we're too busy trying to make sense of something that just happened yeah, and then what's really interesting, though, is that after a while of resting there, it kind of fades away. Yes, it does. It does. That's the whole point about being able to uh, work with first jhana to sustain it, because if you cannot sustain it in first jhana, it, whenever you touch fourth jhana, you won't stay there long enough to really figure it out before you're out of it. But if you learn with first jhana how to sustain that state of mind, then when we get it a little more refined so that we can go into the fourth jhana, we can sustain that too. So that you can just stay with the experience of the wind. I was talking about something else, actually. I, I wasn't saying that you come out of the fourth jhana. What I was saying is I think actually you go a little deeper in that the the experience of sensation itself um, gets mixed up even further to the point where even the sensation is less solid. The experience of a sensation, it's just, it just is what it is. And it, it kind of, it kind of fades away is what I'm saying. Right, exactly. So let's move on then yeah. to the idea of um, this, the phrasing is, uh, neither perception nor non-perception. And the example okay. that's in the Vasudhi Maga is imagine a clay bowl. Perhaps that clay bowl is used as a, um, a lamp of some kind, but you've got a clay bowl that has had oil in it. Okay, a bowl of oil that's a clay bowl. When you pour that oil out of the bowl, there is no more oil in the bowl, correct? When you pour the oil out of the bowl, you turn the bowl upside down, you shake it. And there's no more oil left in there. You can't cook, you can't fry, there's nothing there. There's no oil left, right? What? Well, I would say there's there's still a residue, right? It ah, yes, exactly. Because <laughs> the uh, and I I ent I made sure that we use clay, because the clay bowl is going to absorb the oil. It's actually going yeah. the whole bowl is going to change color, especially if you had the oil sitting at a particular level. When you pour that oil out, you'll be able to see where that oil used to be because the color of the bowl has changed. Right? Okay, so not only that. Your, your, 
you're cutting out a little bit, and I don't know I'm, if it's my phone or if it's your connection. My connection no, is Yes, I I know I I can. We'll just have to put All up right. with it. Um, everything here is good. Well, you're cutting out a lot now, and I think it's I think it's my battery. I think it's my phone. It just gets too hot for some reason. Okay. Okay. I I lost you. I didn't. You said how about and then oh, dead silence how, and then how okay. About <laughs> How about I go on my computer and I'll call you on Skype from there and we can continue this. Um, okay, we can do that. Okay, and I got to go to bed soon anyway, so we'll finish. I was up, thinking that why don't I'll, we finish? Why don't we finish this off later? And we'll go ahead okay. and end it here. Um, and yeah. and and just just to do it we're uh we're going to be covering neither perception or non-perception which we started to and the nothingness and there's there's also a fifth ingredient that is only in some of the suttas and that we uh and it all is pointing back to let's just get data and stop doing so much processing of it that's the basic point of the fourth jhana. So we've got that much. And so we'll continue on with this next time. Just with that, like, it's just a period of processing itself. It's just unnecessary. Processing, processing. Unnecessary and certainly and it's and it's just and it's dangerous because it winds us in dukkha in selfishness okay yeah all right cool we'll see you we'll talk soon all right thanks Alvarado. okay bye-bye